0: Ephesians chapter 5, we are remaining standing for the reading of God's holy inspired word. This is the word of the Lord, please give it your full attention. We are reading Ephesians 5 verse 22 to 33. Wives, be subject or submissive to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as a church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in every Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also of his own wife even as himself. The wife must seek you, and she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father, our precious Son, and ever present Holy Spirit. Help us this morning to see the highest. Help us to obey, bow our knee to your word. Give us listening ears and believing hearts. Decrease that you may increase. Glorified in Christ's name, we pray. Together we say, Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, last week we consider the gracious gift of singleness. God's gracious gift of singleness to His people. God allows certain people, those who are His, the freedom from marriage so that in their singleness they can focus all of their efforts, all of their time, and all of their resources and building up His church. We said that this was not just for uh, older people, but for all people. There are younger people here who today happen to be single. Uh, you are single if you are in Christ. So that you can focus all of your attention and efforts, strength on Christ and on the building up of His church. Singleness is a great, gracious gift from God If it is used to glorify God, not waste our time, not waste our singleness being distracted from other things when we've been given the time to focus on Christ and His church. And now today, we shall consider the high standard of marriage from Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus. Here in the fifth chapter, Paul connects the way in which people, the people of God, live with the gospel. Paul is connecting the way the people of God live with the gospel. Uh, The great and glorious truths of Christ, who he is and what he has done, they both affect and effect the way that the people of God live. Theology, we might say, is before practice. But we need to know the truth to have a good understanding of right theology. And because of God's Spirit working in us to have a right theology, expressions of praise must be or will be evident in the lives of God's people. With understanding should come practice. This again is the theology, doxology that we've talked about so many times before. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul speaks about the grace that has appeared. And a few verses later, he says that we are to look for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, in between the grace that has appeared to us in salvation and the return of of Christ that we are all anxiously with a, a holy anxiety waiting for. Paul tells us that uh, these two great gospel truths should have an in between of us denying ungodliness. That as we've been saved and as we are waiting for the great day of salvation of the Lord, in that in between time we should be denying ungodliness and world that that we are to live sober-minded, that that we are to live godly, holy lives in this world. That connection between again, theology and doxology, is seen between Christ and His people. All those who confess Christ, uh, we should. There should be evident in our lives this understanding of theology, and this expression of praise called doxology in our lives. It should be evident in all of us. It should also be evident not only in single individuals but also in husbands and wives in the marriage covenant. Paul says in Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. This pattern for the people of God, the relationship between Christ and the church. But of course, brothers and sisters, it's, it's more than just a pattern. It's more than just an example. It is also the place where husbands and wives look for great help and strength for our marriages to get grace so that we might know what to do and how we are to be and how we are to live. We know that today the idea or the reality, I would even say, of Christian marriage is on all sides being attacked. Marriage today is trivialized. Some of you might remember this. In 1970, Ronald Reagan in this state, and I think throughout the country, I I believe, worked to pass what is known as the no-fault law of marriage. I I wonder if you've ever heard of the no-fault law of marriage. It's designed to make divorce easier. It's a law that does not require any wrongdoing by either party in order for a couple to be divorced. They simply have to no longer desire to be married, and they can get a divorce. We've seen more and more, not just the uh, acceptance, but the celebration, I would say, of same-sex marriage. The, The attack on marriage between one man born a man, and one woman born a woman, that I even have to say that last phrase, is even more attacked today. Same-sex marriage, homosexuality, transgenderism, and the like, they are not just accepted, tolerated, but they are flagrantly celebrated. Speaking to one of the brothers this morning, it's nothing new. This has gone as far back as Sodom and Gomorrah. When we see this in our country, we should not say, what is our world coming to? This has always been different expressions of what man has shown himself to be in his fallen state. Yesterday, I was picking up food in Los Angeles, not not to go to L.A. to pick up food, but I happened to be there for a meeting. And I was in an area, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, not by the by the ocean, but West Hollywood. I was telling a brother that I have not seen such flagrant celebration of homosexuality since that one time many years ago that I made a wrong turn and ended up in the Castro district of San Francisco. It was everywhere. Rainbow flags that have been stolen from Christianity, uh, flying and soaring through the sky right alongside of the American flag. On every single restaurant, for at least four blocks, rainbows, pride, celebrate yourself. It's not just that movement. There's what is known as the egalitarian movement. It's the movement that says men and women, men and women, they are equal in their roles. It's important that that we recognize that scriptures, they speak about scriptures speak about equality in a certain sense. In Christ, there is neither male or female. Males are not better than females. Uh, Women are not better than men. Uh, All men, male and female, are created in the image of God. Uh, men, Men are image bearers in the exact equal way that women are image bearers of God. But there has been given certain roles to men and women. And in this egalitarian movement, it says that men and women should have the same roles, both in the church and in the home. In this egalitarian movement that has crept into the church, women are pastors. In this egalitarian movement that has crept into the church, uh, women are leading in the church and not men. It says that a husband is not the head of the home. That the scriptures are wrong when they say that only men should be elders of a church. They say that men don't have authority over the wives and that wives should not submit to their husbands. So then Ephesians chapter 5 would be like a red cape to a bull. They would be very upset by reading this chapter. Here... In this letter to the church of Ephesus, Paul is giving a theology of marriage. He's not answering every possible question, but he is laying down principles for marriage. And this morning, with God's help, I would like to draw six principles of marriage from this chapter and center on marriage and its high standard, or if you're looking for a title, the high standard of marriage. Let's begin. Number one, we must know this high standard. Number one, we must know this high standard. That seems very obvious, but it is important. One might ask, what advice can you give for married couples or for someone who is engaged and preparing to be married? What would you say to them? What advice would you give? Pastor Isaiah and I... Sometimes when we go into the home of someone who has been married for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. And because I like to spark up a conversation, I'll ask, wow, you've been married that long. What's the secret? It's always amazing the, the variety of answers that they give. Here's some of that I've heard. And I'll say, you know, how long, how, how do you, what's the secret to a long marriage? Learn to laugh through the pain I've heard. Celebrate small but good moments I've heard. Communicate with each other. Communication is everything. Trust each other. If you don't have trust, you don't have anything. Here's one. Do whatever she says. Happy wife, happy life. Brothers and sisters, is it that simple? I think if any of you have been married for any length of time, you could say, no, it is not that simple. And let me also say to those who are are single, you may be checking out at this moment, you too are married. You are married to Christ. So as I'm speaking this morning, I'm not speaking only to those who are earthly married, but to those who are united to Christ. Because let's be honest, even as a single person, Being married to Christ is not easy as well. Being completely committed to Christ on our part, not on His part, but on our part is completely difficult as well. But in the marriage union, because it, it is not simple, because two sinners, maybe they are regenerated, but two sinners with remaining sin, they are coming together. Imagine that. One person with their own sin. Joining with another person with their own sin, whether they be regenerated or not, still have remaining sin that still needs to be put to death. They are bringing their lives with their sin. They are bringing those lives together. All of those sins that only you knew about are now being exposed to the other person. They're not just sins you know about. They're not just sins that you need to be put, that you know you need to put to death. But now they're being joined with the other person's sins and they see even sins that you don't know about that need to be put to death. It's not easy. It's not just the sins of one man, but now it's the sins of one man and one woman. Again, it takes work. It takes effort. There are not uh, 10 easy steps to a happy marriage. Uh, There's not one slogan that you can put over your bed, kiss me every night. That's going to make all things well. It's amazing. I don't know how many people who have kissed me every night before we go to bed who actually would do that before they go to bed. There's at least one piece of advice though. And it is this. Seek the grace of God for your own soul. Seek the grace of God For your own soul. Know the relationship between Christ and His church for yourself. Keep Christ and the church before you. Yes, as a pattern, but also as not a, but the place. The place that you go to for strength. The place that you go to for blessing. This is first. Christ and His church is the place, not your mom's house, not your dad's house, uh, not your best friend's house. Christ and His church is the place that you go to for strength and for blessing. This is the first relationship you ought to be, not only considering, but seeking to have as your very own. I say to single and I say to married, To Christ is where you go for strength. To Christ is where you go for blessing. We need to know this high standard. Uh, We see how often Paul does this, and it might seem repetitious, like he's saying the same things over again, but it's deliberate. Look at how often Christ, or Paul speaks about Christ being the head. Verse 23. Verse 24. 25. 27, 29, 32, Christ and His church. And what Paul is is trying to do is is weave into the fabric of our thinking. Christ and His church should be first. Christ and His church should be first. How does a husband love his wife? How does a wife submit to her husband? What, What does this look like? Look to Christ and His church. We want to know what this high standard is. Well then, how does Christ love His church? How does the church submit to Christ? Let me say to you that Christ loves His church exclusively. Exclusively. It's not just some general love. It's not an undefined love. Christ does not love just everyone in the same way, not in the least. Christ loves His church and it is an exclusive love. Uh, The church and no other. It is her and her alone. Christ loves her exclusively and Christ loves her, you and I, exceedingly. Look at what He has done for her. Look at the lengths that he has gone for her. Uh, look at what he has laid down. He has laid down himself. He's given his own life for her. This is speaking of the sacrifice at Calvary, of course. The life that he has given, the death that he has offered has been given and offered for her. He's offered his body. He's offered his blood. And we see in these things, how exceedingly Christ has loved His church. He's loved her exclusively, exceedingly. And He's loved her purposely. There's a reason why He loves her. There's a goal to His love for her. Notice the word in verse 25, that. This is why He died for her in verse 25. He loved her that. Listen, That he might sanctify her and cleanse her. Why has he loved her? So that he might sanctify her and cleanse her. So that, so that he might present her to himself without spots and without wrinkle. So that she might be holy and blameless. This is why Our Christ lived and and died and rose and ascended so that the bride might be made holy to take away her defilement, to take away her spot and all wrinkles, to prepare her at last so that she might be brought with gladness to the house of God. What's the standard of marriage? Look no further than Christ. He loved exclusively. He loves exceedingly. He loves purposefully. Well, how does the church then submit to Christ? We see that the church submits to Christ by acknowledging Him as her head. She is her head. And and some have translated this as source. Uh, Saying... uh, Eve, the church is the, is the New Testament Eve, that, that she has been taken from the rib of Adam. But that's not necessarily what Paul is getting at. It's not the idea that Paul is saying. Instead, Paul is getting at the authority, or the idea of authority here. In, in the same way as he speaks in chapter 1 verse 22, that, that God has put all things under the feet of Christ and given him to be head of all things. How does the church submit to Christ? By seeing Him as our authority. There is no other head for the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. Uh, Some random pastor in a church is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. The church says Christ and Christ alone. Christ is Lord. Christ is King. Christ is our authority and we, the church, we submit by acknowledging He is our head and we obey His commands. We don't get to pick and choose which commands we want to come under. All of the commands of Christ, we are responsible to obey. All of the commands are good. We love God's law we do so in obedience joyfully but we are not burdened by the commands of of our head we are comforted by them we love them Christ is a loving king Christ is a gracious Lord and it is the delight of her of his bride the church to obey him and this brings Christ's glory As we delight fully in Him. The book of Song of Solomon says, How beautiful are your feet with shoes, O Prince's daughter. It is lovely for the church when we walk in obedience to the commands of Christ. It's lovely. How beautiful. We are to know this high standard. Secondly, and these will move a little bit quicker. We need to love this high standard. We should not only love or know the high standard of marriage saints, but we should, we should love it. Why should we love this high standard of marriage? It's because we love Christ. Uh, single person and married person, the reason why you should submit to your head Christ, because He loves you and you love Him. Christ is the first relationship that we should look to. We look to the relationship we have in Christ. We're to look to Him, His dying love, and love His law and obey it. When we see who Christ is and what He has done, then this that is written by Paul, it does not become a burden for us. Love your wives, submit to your husbands, It's It becomes something that we love to do. Something that we value. uh, Not something that we are wrestling against. How can someone really value marriage? How can someone really love a wife if that person doesn't love Christ? How can someone really love Her husband, if she does not love Christ. I say this to, to all of us, but especially to those who are seeking relationships with those who, who are unsaved. For those who are seeking relationships with, with unbelievers. How can the unbeliever love the believer if the unbeliever doesn't love the love of the believer? The unbeliever cannot love the, the person who is a believer. If that person doesn't believe in Christ, doesn't love Christ, doesn't love the church, you will constantly be trying to, to make them something that they cannot be. You are treading you as an ox or the donkey. And you will produce no fruit. In that pursuit. If they don't love Christ. They won't love you. If they don't love his church. The bride of Christ. Why would they love their own bride? At least the way in which God has prescribed for us. Now we can look out in the world. And we can see unsaved people. Loving each other. But their love has an end. It's to glorify one another. Not to glorify Christ. When considering a potential mate, look for one who loves Christ. Look for one who loves the church of Christ. Again, no love for Christ, they won't love you. No love for the church, they won't love you. If they are indifferent to Christ and to His church, they will have no idea how to love you properly. Younger people, you're looking at me now. I'm talking to you too. I'm not speaking to the person who's 35 years old next to you or 25 years old next to you alone All of you. Learn what it means to be loved. In the biblical way. And you will be blessed. But if you forsake that. Simply because she's cute. Or he's cute. We have so much in common. Other than Christ. You will find yourself fighting an uphill battle. That you will never win. If you are in Christ. Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for it. Therefore husbands. Love your wives. It's a high standard. And yet, it is a standard that the Christian will say amen to. Just like we say amen to the law. The law is holy. The law is just. The law is good. But even as we see this high standard, we all should lament that we're lacking. As we know the high standard and know that we should, we should love the high standard, we're also honest with ourselves, uncle. Single and married, that I lack in so many areas. I see that it is good, but I find this law within me that I don't do the things that I know I should do. The very thing I want to do, I don't do. I, what a wretched person I am. There's not a problem with the standard, there's a problem with me. The problem is altogether with me. It seems so impossible sometimes that the wife may hear of this standard and say, it's impossible for me to match the standard that the church has given. I, I find the desire more and more to lead in my family rather than submit. I find the desire more and more in my family to, to take control and to the husband. I don't love like this. You mean I need to be the the... Example of Christ in my marriage. I I I don't love like that. My My love is often self-centered. My love is often not Christ-centered. Speaking to singles too. Christ loves me and is calling me to a certain submission. I find myself wanting to do my own thing. Nothing wrong with the standard. I love the standard. The standard is good. It is holy. I'm the problem. The law is not the problem, it's me. Dear saints, we must look to the way that Christ has loved the church and how the church submits to Christ, but we must do so realistically. It must be our goal in our singleness and our goal in marriage. It must not just be a good picture that we look at and say, I appreciate that. But it must be that goal that we pursue in our singleness and in our marriages. I see the standard and I'm pursuing it. Not, I see the standard, I know it's good, but I can never achieve it and I won't even try. Let's go to our third point. We must, and I hope that this is connecting, we must maintain this high standard. Connecting to our last point. It is tempting to say, and, and maybe we might think, who can keep this? Who can do this? That This seems unrealistic. We need a more realistic standard rather than one that seems unattainable. You might even be discouraged at this point. My marriage is nowhere near this. Uh, my single life, my, my intimacy with Christ is nowhere near this. Let me tell you what you and I should not do at this point. We should not start making excuses for ourselves. We should not start saying, well, I didn't have a role model in my life. My dad wasn't there to show me what it, what it means to be a real man. My, my mother wasn't there to show me what it means to be a godly woman. I, you know, my wife is more of a natural leader anyways. I, I just kind of let her take the lead. I'm more of a quiet man. She delegates. This is our standard, brothers and sisters. This is a standard that we've been given. Oh, but, but this is our standard. We get along better this way. It just works out this way. And then we start to compare ourselves with others. I mean, we're not as bad as that couple over there. They, they really got it bad. We get along. We do okay. And this becomes a real temptation that is true in all of life. But we live in a time, we live in an age where there is progressively this lowering of standards. There is a lowering of standards. And we can look across the board. A lowering of standards in manners. seems to be impossible today for people to say hello, thank you, and please. Our children are rarely taught any longer to say thank you, to greet those who are coming in, to greet older people, to have respect for them. There's a lowering of standard in our education. Nobody goes to school anymore. Nobody really cares to go to school anymore. Uh, I'm I'm not too removed from the uh, 80s and 90s, but it was almost a given. You're going to go to college. You at least make an attempt. Kids don't need to go to college anymore. They just need to have a YouTube account, and they're successful that way. They need to have a a successful TikTok account, and they can get money that way. They, They are becoming more diverse and less traditional because the standards are no longer high. As long as you can get a lot of likes and views and follows, who cares about what you know? There's a lowering in respect of authority. And authority has, has made it difficult for them to be honored. But we are given a biblical mandate to honor our authorities. To speak about them in certain ways that reflect the fact that, that we are Christians. That the way we speak is different than the way that Fox News speaks. The way that we speak is different than the way that CNN and MSNBC speak. We speak with dignity. We are the people of God. Our speech is to be wholesome. There's a lowering of the value of life. Abortion is rampant. And in some cases, even abortion after birth. And not just for the babies and infants. There's also a lowering of... of of dignity and standard for elderly. Just take this pill and be done with it. And into the church we go. There's a lowering of the standard of theological precision and biblical knowledge. We think it's okay to sacrifice accuracy for relatability and entertainment. As long as we went, and as we went, we were thrilled, entertained. There's a lowering of the standard. What's the, the difference between just, justification and regeneration and faith? People don't know, and they don't even think it's important to know. Which invites heresy. The standard is lowering all around us. And brothers and sisters, it's true also in marriage. However seemingly impossible the standard appears to be for our marriages, for our singleness, the answer is not to lower the standard. However impossible it seems to achieve it and to attain it, the answer is not this. Let's just lower the standard. No, it's keep the standard high and pursue it. In spite of all of our shortcomings and failures, we must fight in this age To maintain the standard in an ever-changing and ever-lowering of standards that we're living in. Let's move on. Number four. We must apply this high standard realistically. Paul speaks of Christ seeking to sanctify the church, presenting her to himself glorious, without spot and without wrinkle. Brother, can you check the air? And what does this imply? Christ is, is uh, seeking to, check the breaker, Christ is seeking to present His church as spotless and without wrinkle. This implies that the church has spots and that the church has wrinkles. That the church is yet to be glorified and still has many wrinkles that need to be ironed out. Still has many spots that need to be washed. Husbands and wives, isn't this so true for you and I? We, husbands, we have a lot of spots and wrinkles. You wives, you also have a lot of spots and wrinkles. Uh, You single people, you have a lot of spots and wrinkles. And you single pe- single people, Christ is washing you in His blood and putting you through fire to remove all of the wrinkles, steam, if you will. So then we need to apply this high standard of marriage realistically. In our marriages, listen to this, also in our singleness, we need to recognize the weaknesses that we have Amongst each other. And not just pointing them out to say, I see it. There's a spot. There's a wrinkle. Oh, that's a big crease. That needs to really take a lot of work to get out. But recognizing it with grace. Uh, Not recognizing it with judgment, but recognizing it with grace. The husband doesn't look at the wife and say, my mission is to get you to submit to me. We're going to work on this. Imagine if your husband came to you and that was his, (laughs) that was his, his message to you today. Or the wife doesn't look to the husband and say, my mission is to get you to love me and to care for me better. The couple doesn't come against one another, pointing the fingers at one another's spot there, wrinkle there, up, there's a big one. They don't come to each other and say, You're not loving me the right way. You're not respecting me the right way. The reason why we know this is because that's not the way that Christ speaks to his bride. That's our standard. We are flawed. We are filled with spots and wrinkles. And when a spot doesn't automatically come out, we don't immediately criticize and throw away the, the whole load. When wrinkles are difficult and glaring, remember how Christ has loved his church. Paul doesn't give the command, husbands, enforce submission to your wives. And even to wives. Wives, demand love from your husbands. No. Husbands, see to it that you love your wives in this way. Wives, see to it that you submit to your husbands in this way. Certainly, you don't say that you only need to love your wife if she submits to you. And wives only need to uh, submit to their husbands if he loves you. It's not conditional. It's an individual practice. My responsibility is to love my wife, irregardless of how she submits to me. I'm to pursue her with a Christ-like kind of love. Irregardless of how well she submits to me. Let me ask you this. How well do you submit to Christ? And does he not still love you with the same everlasting love that he has always given to you? Yes. In spite of all of our, I'm wrestling with this. I don't want to submit to this. I'm trying to, I talked to a brother yesterday. I see this command. I'm trying to find a loophole. He goes, I don't see one. I said, You won't find one. And Christ still loves him and all of us the same. In spite of our wrestling, in spite of our pushing back against his commands. It's not not conditional. It's important that we understand because it's not conditional that when we don't see the submission coming back, when we don't see the love being given, that we practice grace and patience with one another. the singles, just as God Christ is great, gracious and patient with you, all of us, in our lack of submission to Him. Now, there is a place for speaking to one another about roles. There's no denying that. There is a place for addressing sin. There's no denying that. It's not as though we turn a blind eye to sin and and never confront it. I'm just going to be gracious with Him. I know He's sinning. I'm not going to confront Him about it. I'm just going to be gracious with her. I'm going to be patient with her. I know she's sinning. No, there's a place for it. But when it's addressed, it must be done tenderly and with true love and care. You want to... I'm sick of you. Listen, this is like the third or fourth time I've told you, I'm done. Well, let me just tell you how I am. If I'm confronted in that particular way, then here comes my defenses. But rather, if someone comes to me in love, my defenses may want to arise. I may want to say, I don't want to hear what you've got to say. But because of the tenderness and the love in which it was said, I'm able to receive it a whole lot better than the, the, the former. I'm sick of you. I'm, I'm done with this. This is the third or fourth time I've told you not to do this and you keep doing it. How do, you, how do you expect to win someone over with that kind of approach? This goes for all of us, doesn't it? It's not just husband to wife. It goes for all of us. For the, the believer... There must be an appreciation that our sin, however difficult it is to hear about it, is being exposed. So that it can be put to death. Aren't you glad when someone says, there's something that I see in you. And I'm telling you lovingly, I'm telling you you tenderly. But I'm seeing this because I think this could be a hindrance to you. It could it could be something that causes a, a and a, an, it could that something that could affect your communion with God. Aren't you appreciative of that? Or do your walls automatically go up? Uh, do the barbed wires start to come out? The electric fences, like our next door neighbors here, does, do all of those things start to come up whenever we're, a sin is brought up to our attention? Don't come any nearer. If you do, you're you're going to get electrocuted. Trust me. Couples need to bear with one another, to be patient with one another in their weaknesses. Let me ask you this. If you're planning on getting married, if you're engaged to be married, or if you are married, what did you expect, or what are you expecting from that person when you're married? If you're wanting to be married, planning to be married, or if you are married, you will not marry, and you are not married to a glorified saint as much as you'd like them to be, as much as you imagine that they are, you did not marry a glorified saint. You married a believer. You married a former wretch who is now a saint that's still learning how to put remaining sin to death. A former wretch who is a saint that is still learning how to put remaining sin to death. Now, there may be a whole bunch of sin that you didn't realize was there when you got married, but listen, you said, I do. So now you got to work through what you said you would do. They are not so, uh, fully sanctified human beings. They are human beings filled with God's Spirit with many shortcomings. Your husband, I'm going to describe myself, may not be a handyman, may not be a hunter, I can cook that, may not be a farmer, may not be a very good problem solver, she may not be the best cook, may not be the best homemaker, may not know how to knit or sew, But we are to appreciate all of those peculiar things about our husbands and wives. So they're not the hunter of the field. They're a house cat. (laughs) But God has given me that house cat. And I'm going to love him and submit to him because Christ has called me to do so. Be gracious with him. Bear with him in love. God has uniquely joined you to that person in a covenant of marriage. Uh, let me just go back to the, those things that I described. About, that doesn't make a man, by the way. Hunter, uh, handyman, uh, you know, can lift a thousand pounds. over. That, that doesn't make a man. What makes a man is someone who loves the way Christ loves. Who's willing to lay down their lives the way Christ has laid down their lives. Don't let the culture tell you what a man is. Let the scriptures tell you what a man is. Just as singleness is a gift, a unique gift, so marriage is a unique gift from God. In singleness, you have been given time to focus on Christ and His church. In marriage, you have been given a partner. Not a perfect one, but a helpmate. Who can walk alongside of you as you together glorify God in your lives? That's a high standard, and in that high standard, have real, realistic expectations for you and for him, him or for her. Let's move on to our next one, number five. We must pursue this high standard of marriage. We need grace. We need help. We need Christ. We need His Spirit, of course. It is as true here as it is everywhere. Without Christ, we can do nothing. We need Christ to be godly husbands. We need Christ to be godly wives. We need Christ to be godly single men and single women. We need Christ. There are challenges to this high standard. And the temptation is to become lazy. To become passive as men. In our leadership of the home, the temptation is for wives to take control. Uh, the temptation is to ridicule one another. Temptation is also to, to be influenced by the world, who says this is this is tyrannical. This is this is uh, stone age kind of stuff. This doesn't happen anymore. You're be, you're behind. You're behind the times. But as the husband looks at the standard, he looks at the way Christ has loved the church. He knows the standard, loves the standard, uh, seeks to maintain the standard and does so realistically. But, But he seeks to put it into practice knowing how Christ has loved the church. Christ loved the church exclusively. So the husband is to love his wife with an exclusive love. It is her and her alone. It is my love to her and to no other. He is the husband of one wife. That's not just a a prerequisite or a requirement for elders alone. That's a requirement for the man of God. He is the husband of one wife. He's a one woman man. Loves her exclusively and he loves her exceedingly. Three times in this verse, love your wives, love your wives, love your wives. And whenever we see this this kind of uh, three-fold uh, description or command, it's important. It's meant for us to to open up our eyes and to take notice of. Love them always. That's how you unpack this. Love your wives. How do I love them? Love them always. Not just when it suits you to love them. Not like not just when you feel in the mood, I should say. And not just physically. But with the way you speak to them at all times. Be there for them. Listen to them. Support them. Help them. Try to understand their perspective. Talk to them. Thank them, uh, husbands. It is it is important that that your children hear you thanking your wife. It's important that your children hear you appreciating your wife, praising your wife, loving your wife. Encourage your wives. Provide for them. Protect them. Do not complain about them. Do not criticize them to others. How do I love my wives? Don't hold grudges against them. Forgive them as Christ forgives the church. It's the very essence of what love is. Think again of how Christ loves the church. He forgives us freely. As often as we pray, forgive us our debts every single time He forgives. He doesn't hold grudges over us. He doesn't give us conditions to His forgiveness. So men ought to love their wives. As Christ loved the church purposefully. He loves the church purposely with the the purpose of what? Making her holy. That's the purpose of Christ's love to the church. It's the great purpose of marriage. Beyond, which we'll talk about next, uh, displaying the gospel. It's the great purpose of our marriage. The reason why I am getting married is so that I might enjoy the holiness of my bride. The holiness of my bride. Christ died so that, so that he might sanctify her. The sacrifice of Christ is not simply just giving up your preferences, husbands to wives. We're not just looking at the way that Christ died and say, I'm just giving up all my preferences. I want to spend my money this way, but I'm not because I'm giving up my life for my wife. I would like to use my time for this, but, but I'm not because I'd like to give. i got to give my life to my wife. That, that's not what it means to lay down your life for your wife. I'd rather go to the gym, but i got to be home because I'm laying down my life for my wife. That's not the way that you lay down your life for your wife. It's to sanctify her. It's to, to make her holy. You're looking at the standard of Christ and following that. You make sacrifices then for her holiness. For her holiness. For her, for her sanctification. That's the man having Christ's example of love in view. How does Christ love the church? So that she might be holy. So then my laying down of my life for my wife should involve me actively seeking to make her holy. With my time, with my money, with my efforts, I am seeking to make her holy, to sanctify her. Because that's the goal and priority of this. Well, then how does that look? Make time to read together. Make time to pray together. Make time, give of yourself, time is life, giving of yourself to listen and have gospel conversations with her. Send her a sermon. This will be helpful for you, I think. And and not like... You know, Ten ways to call your, your husband Lord or anything like that. But ways that will edify her. That will strengthen her in her walk with Christ. These things can vary. But you, husband... Or to make sure she's advancing spiritually. That she's advancing theologically. She doesn't want to talk about this stuff. Then take small steps. Take small steps. Maybe the first step may be evangelism. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe the first step is, is she a believer? But beyond that, take small steps. Is your wife able to be here and enjoy the means of grace? Is she able to be among the saints? Or is it always you? Allow her to grow in Christ. It's your responsibility to take responsibilities from her. So that she can grow in Christ. You are called to sanctify her. To play a part in that role of the Spirit's work. Of sanctifying her. Point her back to Christ in those difficult conversations. When she's wrestling with things. Hear her out, and at the very end of it, let's pray together. Let's go to Christ together. What will that do? That will cause her, in times when you're not around, to know where to go. When she's wrestling, when she's struggling, she'll go to Christ. Pray with her. Encourage her. Lead her and the whole family in family worship. That's a non-negotiable. Lead your family in the ways of the Lord. That's a non-negotiable. You are a derelict man, a derelict father if you're not doing so. I, say so. I say so on authority of the Word of God, not my own. Lead them in worship. Lead them to Christ. That means you need to be following Christ. There's many men who won't do these things because they're not doing them. How could I lead them when I'm not following Christ myself? Then follow Christ. Stop making excuses. Follow Christ. Uh, Stop wasting time. YouTube has nothing special. Instagram, Facebook, there's nothing there that's more important than them. Lead them to Christ. Set a time in the day that you will join your family for worship. It's a priority. When we come together as husband and wife, we read, we pray, we sing, we talk about the word of God. The whole idea is that the word is beginning to sink in with you and your family. It's becoming to saturate. It's becoming uh, your your family is becoming saturated with the word of God. Moist, if you will, with God's word. It's never far from your family's lips. The Bible, God's word, begins to wash her. And you again, you as the head. Your responsibility to remove certain things in the home that may be detrimental to their spiritual growth. Not just hers, but whoever else is in your home. Things that are sinful. You, you, uh, you, Adam in your house a a, a if you will a kind of holy place you stop the head of the serpent who tries to come in don't allow things to waste time in your families after all all of this if you can see this in your mind's eye after your hard efforts men Wouldn't you love the blessing, the glorious moment of standing before the Lamb on His throne and you being able to look over to the right or to the left and see the person who was your spouse? Look to them because you have presented her or him or her To him, without spot or wrinkle. Here is your bride, Christ. What an amazing moment that could be. Will we know we were married? You will know you were married. You will know her. If you will know Paul, there ain't no reason why you won't know her. I present her to you, Lord, in the way that you have called me to present her. Perfectly? No. But by your grace and help and strength, yes. The wife, in the same way, looks to her husband, or looks at the church, how she should submit to Christ. Oh, what a beautiful word that is. Don't let the cultists say, that's a terrible word. It's a beautiful word. Why? Because God, because God said it. Because God said it. Because God said, wives, submit to your husbands. Single people, you are submitting to Christ. It's a beautiful word. It's a lovely word, not one of inferiority, one that God has given image bearers to uphold. And when you do it in his ordained way, it is God glorifying. When you uphold the role that God has given you in your home, God is glorified. When you divert from that and say, I'm the boss, or when husband, you say mama's the boss, it's mama's house. What's wrong with you? You have been given charge of that home. When wives submit to their husbands, it is as unto Christ. It's as unto the Lord. Let me say this. This is even most beautiful in hard relationships where the husband or the wife is not following Christ. It is most beautiful when the husband loves the wife when she's not following Christ because he's committed to do so before they were ever saved. What a beautiful example of what it means to love like Christ loves. Or when the wife submits to her husband in the way that the church submits to Christ, even when he's not walking or loving as Christ loves. It is a beautiful thing. Why? Because God is glorified even in your knowing He's not the man or woman I need them to be. I would want them to be. But I'm called to love and submit as unto the Lord. So you're you're, you're almost fixing your gaze past them and seeing, doing what you're doing as unto the Lord difficult here but I'm doing this around you yes to you but I'm fixing my gaze beyond you to Christ and it's a beautiful thing love and submit as unto the Lord submit by joyfully not uh, joyfully following non sinful leadership of your husband or of your husband as long as he's not telling you to do sinful things Joyfully submit. As the church is subject to Christ, so wives be must also be to their own husbands in everything. Not whatever he says goes. That's not what Paul's saying. But as best that you can follow without him leading you into sin, do so joyfully. Make your home as joyful as possible. Make your home as enjoyable as possible. Especially for each other, yes... But for your kids who will have a short amount of time there, what will they look back on and reflect upon when they were in your home? Yelling and screaming, fighting, throwing knives. Hopefully not throwing knives. Pots and pan fights. I mean, what will they look back upon? You have an opportunity to, to allow them to look back on a godly home where Christ was glorified. We say to one another, speak well of each other, encourage one another. For the un, un for the married person who has an unmarried, who is married to someone who's not saved, don't envy other marriages. Don't say, "I wish my husband or wife was like that." Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Let's go to the last, very very brief point. We must encourage this high standard of marriage. We do this in many ways. We encourage it by desiring it. We encourage it by speaking about it. By praying about it. By modeling it. By showing the beauty of it. In this day, in day and time, where the world tries to make a godly marriage look ugly and archaic, let's show... To one another and to the world just how beautiful it really is. The godly husband showing love to his wife the way Christ loved the church. The godly wife showing something of of the glorious church of Christ submitting to her husband. And doing all of this in a crumbling world. Let our lives individually as singles, let our lives as married couples display the gospel of Christ. Because that alone is where true love is found in the gospel. Christ loves exclusively, exceedingly, and with the purpose of sanctifying us. We must submit lovingly and joyfully. Teach it to others as well. We want to encourage it, then teach it. Whether it's to your children, that they may see the way dad and mom love each other and that this is an example of the church or just to other people who are single among you. Older, teach the younger. Younger, be an example and respectful to the older. In doing so, let all of us together.